All right, y'all. Two more Advents. I'm counting the Sundays. Two more. But I am liking Advent. Sort of. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 26 through 35. I'm trying to think about uh, logically um, having sort of a theme for these. You'll see that as we unpack it. I'm wondering if next week uh, that I'm going to hit specifically Christmas for a Christian. In other words, what is the spiritual resources in Advent and Christmas for Christians? Again, we tend to think that uh, Christianity or the gospel or things like, you know the gospel, just really, really quick, this is not even, this is for free. What is the gospel? You need to know that the gospel is Jesus events and then messages about those events. And the messages about those Jesus events are called good news. So what are the Jesus events? Well, what we're doing in Advent, it's the event of him incarnating. So that's event number one. Event number two is he lives this perfect life. Event number three is he suffers a punishing death. Event number four is he rises from the dead. Event number five, he reigns right now. These are all things that Jesus has done. These are gospel events. This is all that he's accomplished. And what the Bible does is it comes alongside and says, every time we try to interpret that, we get it wrong. So I'm going to tell you, God says, what these events mean. And the summary of all of them is that they're good news. But the messages that are married to these Jesus events are called the power of God for your salvation. (laughs) The power of God that reaches unbelieving people and the power of God that heals and puts back together and strengthens and develops worship and puts together community and friendships and and empowers the church for missions. It's the same thing. It's that power for the Christian life. So, The gospel is not just the A, B, C's of the Christian life. The gospel is the A through Z of the Christian life. So the incarnation or advent has to say something to the church for your Christian life. Usually it's presented as that for the unbelieving, unchurched person. Of course. But maybe we don't know what all the resources are in there for you that are churched, that trust Jesus, and are trying to figure out this thing called the Christian life. So maybe that's what we'll do next week. I kind of lean in that direction, but I'm not sure. All right, I read about a missionary who served in an unreached area. Do you know what an unreached area is? It's an area of the world where Jesus is not known, where the gospel is not present, Certainly not publicly, certainly not openly, certainly not freely. Jesus uh, isn't heard, he's not known. Um, And in this part of the world, the state has actually set itself up against everything about Jesus. So everything that's taught about him, which would be the the Bible. Uh, Everyone that talks about him and has a relationship with him or is in a community with him, which is called the church. So the state is openly against everything about Jesus in this part of the world. Uh, But there was a missionary who was there. And this missionary would make friends and have gospel conversations in this unreached area. And that's how he came in contact with this highly professional, highly educated person in the state that he became friends with. 
One evening, the conversation naturally turns to God, which, of course, then turns to the Bible and then ends up on Jesus. This is what this highly educated professional person says in response to Jesus. What you have told me cannot be true. If it were true, it is such good news that someone, someone would have told this to me before. So what I want to do this morning for you, because I care about you, I want to emotionally prepare you. I want to emotionally prepare you in this way. After today's text, or during the time of today's text, you are going to feel exactly the same way. What you have told me cannot be true. If it were true, it's such good news that someone would have told this to me before. Are you ready? Please stand for the hearing of God's word. As always, I'll make some comments in the text, kind of like give you a little sweat, the little sweat of the text, the work that was done in the text, just a tad, not too much, hopefully. So in the sixth month, the angel, what's the sixth month? That's of Elizabeth's pregnancy, cousin Elizabeth, Mary and Elizabeth are cousins, and Elizabeth has this baby in her called John the Baptizer. It's just FYI. Uh, the angel Gabriel. Now, that's, let's not just blow by that. <laughs> that's not just any angel. This is an elite angel. This is an angel that when God turns to the right, Gabriel, get out of my way. He is right there. And whenever God has like these special missions, Gabriel, Oh, you bet. Please, Lord, send me, not Michael. He's a little, he's lackey. He's a little dehydrated today. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. Uh, that really doesn't communicate exactly what's happening. She's freaking out and at the saying and is trying to discern it. In other words, her mind is racing so fast, she's, she's trying to figure out what is happening, what is happening, right? She's trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I love how they just, just blanketly say things like that. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, pay attention, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, and we're going to look at this in a little more detailed, everyone's puzzled about her question. All the experts, ancient, modern, doesn't matter. How will this be? Since I'm a virgin. And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. 
This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, Lord, the good news here feel completely inadequate to communicate and ask that you would absolutely overwhelm us with the wonder, with the power of the good news in such a way that we trust you, in such a way that we come alive, in such a way that we actually are put back together again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What you have told me cannot be true. If it were true, it's such good news that someone would have told this to me before. What is Advent? So, Advent series number one. That's what we did. What is Advent? Advent is the arrival, specifically the arrival of someone. Sermon number one. Sermon number two. Why should you care about Advent? Answer number one, not to be inspired, not to be more. That's a delusion. Why should you care about Advent? Because your greatest need is to experience grace. And that's when we went through that whole list of names and genealogies, right? That was number two. Number three today is, what is Advent's message to you? So, Advent's message, what is it? It's a Jesus event. What's the message? But more specifically, what's the message to you? You with me? So here we go. we got to get this out of the way first. I feel like I'm sort of uncomfortable even going in this direction, but I feel like somebody has to say it. All right, so let's get this out of the way. Advent's message to you is not about Mary. Verse 28, and he came to her. If we could put that up. Oh, yes, Malachi. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Do you see that? If you have a Bible or you have an electronic device, there might be. I'm not saying there is because more translations are actually not doing this because it's not a very good... Well, let's put it this way. You might have a footnote. Do you have a footnote? ESV has a footnote after that. The footnote goes like this because some Greek manuscripts say, Blessed are you among women. Now, the overwhelming mass of Greek manuscripts, especially all the early ones, do not have it. That's why this is suspicious. That's why everyone thinks... A later scribe inserted it. But here's what is inserted in the later manuscripts. Not a lot of them, but some of them. And it goes like this. Blessed are you among women. Okay? So a whole theology is built off that, just so you know. A whole church tradition is built off that, just so you know. Now, the literal meaning of blessed are you among women is this. Oh, Mary, happy are you. <laughs> Happiness, Mary! Joy, Mary. Good news, Mary. This does not mean, Mary, you are uniquely worthy among women in all the earth. It's not what this text means. So Advent's message to us is not hail Mary, literally. Mary is not a motherly mediator. You do not need Mary to help you connect with Jesus, to activate Jesus in your life. You do not need Mary to help your prayers connect with God, to activate your prayers before God, okay? The other thing this means is that Hail Mary's doesn't mean, also it means this, not instructionally or exhortationally. In other words, Mary is not an example to follow here, like be like Mary or have faith like Mary or rest, rely, rejoice in God like Mary. 
What you have told me cannot be true. If it were true, it would be such good news that why hasn't anybody told this to me before? Hail Mary is not good news. All right, that's out of the way. Thank you. Let's move on. What is Advent's message to you? Luke 1, chapter 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, so far, we're going to work through this text. We're going to experience what's happening to Mary. We're going to walk through, and hopefully you get gripped by the force of what's happening here. So far, so good. Nothing extraordinary. Meaning the angel says, Hey, Mary, you're going to have a kid. Okay, you know, of course, she's about ready to marry Joseph, right? And every young couple is hoping that they will be blessed with children. So Mary's like, oh, man, wow, jeepers. Thank you. Thank you for telling me, Mr. Angel, that we're going to have a kid. So far, so good. Nothing extraordinary. But she might be thinking, because if I was Mary, I'd be going, but I didn't really need all the angel drama for that. Right? Why couldn't you just come in a dream? And you know me, God. I'm a deep feeler. So if you just gave me a strong impression, that's good. We're going to have a kid. 32. He will be great and he'll be called Son of the Most High. Uh-oh. What's happening? And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. Uh-oh. What's happening? And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. What's happening? And his kingdom, there will be no end. Oh, this child is going to be different. Now, if you look at that in verse 32, everything that the angel is saying here has already been said in the Old Testament. Uh, this is stuff that's said about this really, really special king called the Messiah, an off-the-charts king, an off-the-charts person whom God brings his kingdom through. And there's two things that everybody knew about him. One, he was going to be called Son of the Most High or Son of God because he was going to have such a special connection with God and such a special anointing, and he was so specially chosen that he's uniquely powerful and bringing in God's kingdom. And the other thing everybody knew about him is that he was going to be a son of David. Not just that he was going to come from David's line, but he was going to be David-like, but better. Oh, Mr. Angel, now you've got my attention. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Here's the weird question. Why is this such a weird question? Because Mary has had the talk. She knows how babies are made. And Mary's about ready to be married to Joseph. So she knows how she and Joseph can make babies. So what's going on here? I mean, why the... Let me look at that again. Why is she asking, how will this be since I am a virgin? So... Here's what I think is happening, and I'm glad that I found out that the old interpreters thought this way and the really skilled modern interpreters thought this way. It goes like this. Mary is just simply sensing something more is going on, meaning she's probably sensing there's some kind of immediate conception taking place apart from Joseph, some sort of miraculous 
conception apart from Joseph. Something more is happening. Something like, okay, Mr. Angel, what exactly are you talking about? Verse 35, and the angel answers her. This is what I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And what that means is God is going to localize his presence in Mary. Let's keep reading. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you because that's an Old Testament description. In other words, all throughout the Bible, God would localize his presence in a cloud and overshadow it. He'd localize his presence in the tabernacle and overshadow it. He'd localize his presence in the temple and overshadow it. So I'm going to localize, God's going to localize his presence in you, Mary, like that. Therefore, now here's what happens as a result. The child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. We have just entered, we right now, right now in this text, you are entering the world of incomprehensible mystery. You are entering the world where there is always more than you can know. You can know some things, but there's always more. You can grasp some things, but there's always another Everest. You can climb a peak of the incarnation, but you will never summit, ever, not even in heaven. I don't know about you, but I'm just thinking about this right now. How incredible, how enlivening, how motivating. You can't master it. You can't control this. You can't get the end of it. What you get will set your heart alive And then the next thing you grasp will set your heart alive and you will never, ever, ever experience what you experience on this earth called the law of diminishing returns. I mean, everyone usually applies it to drugs. I had a conversation with a group of folks last night about that. You know, you get high with a little bit, but the next time you got to do more to get the same high. That never happens here. You get life and happiness and energy in whatever you grasp of this, and you will never, ever, ever, ever get to the end of it. Amazing. (laughs) The Apostle John, the Apostle Paul explain it this way. When I say explain it, it's another word for saying they doctrinalize it, or they theologize it, or they propositionalize it, or they ideaize it. You with me? They say it this way, God adds humanity to his divinity, creating something new. There's all kinds of language in church history and doctrines, adoption. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that's used. You just need to know that what's happening here is that God is adding to himself humanity. He's forming a new creation, a new person. And his name is Jesus. The Apostle John, the Apostle Paul, and then other theologians that came after him describe it this way. I want to give you all the ways that it's being said. 
the second person in the Trinity, the preexistent Son of God, adds humanity to his divinity. So the preexistent, eternal Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, does not subtract himself, his divinity. He just adds humanity to his divinity. Incomprehensible mystery. There's always more than you can know. John says it this way. I think it's really good. In the beginning was the word. (laughs) That's interesting. Yes, it's a Bible. It's probably pretty good. In the beginning was the word, the second person in the Trinity, the eternal son of God. And the word was with God because he's the second person in the Trinity. He's the eternal son of God. And the word was with God and the word was God because he's the second person in the Trinity. He's the eternal son of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Added humanity. Breathtaking. This child is the God-man. 100% God. 100% man. And his name is Jesus. Do you see Advent's message to you? It's right there on the page for all of us. It's right there for all of us. Do you see? Do you see the message of the arrival? Do you see the message that that God would add humanity to himself and show up on this earth? Do you see the message that God would arrive, the second person in the Trinity, and not subtract himself but add to himself humanity for you? Do you see the message? It's breathtaking. God becomes a man, a human being, for you. What's the message of Advent? Here it is. You've blown it as a human being. And I've come to take your place. You've blown it as a human being. I've come to take your place. Don't miss this. I'm going to give you the literal translation or I'm going to give you what's called the grammatical translation. It's a little more wooden, but it's a little more accurate. So it therefore communicates more. Look at verse 35. If we can get there. Here we go. And the angel said to her, or answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and therefore the child to be born will be holy. Cross out called. There is no called there. He will be holy. He will be the only holy person that ever lived. And he will be holy for you in your place. You get his holiness. Let's continue. Called actually now moves to the other side of that hyphen because that's where it is in the original language. He will be holy, therefore he will be called son of God. Do you know what this means? This is not now. Do not be thinking pre-existent 
son of God, eternal son of God. Now you are thinking son of God, Adam. Son of God, Israel. Son of God, David. In other words, finally, there's someone who was a perfect image bearer. Finally, there's someone who's a perfect human being. Finally, there's someone who's the true and faithful son and daughter of God, Adam and Eve. And his name is Jesus. Breathtaking. You have blown it as a human being. And I've come to take your place. What is Advent's message? You've blown it as a human being. I've come to take your place. What you have told me cannot be true. If it were true, it's such good news that someone would have told me this before. Now, I know some of you are thinking, man, how is being told you've blown it as a human being good news? Right? I know you're thinking it, because I think it. The reason why I ask these questions, just, for, just so you let you in on what's happening, the reason why I ask these questions is because I ask these questions. So if you think I'm like reading your mail or, you know, whatever, it's not that, really. I just know what I'm like, and if I know what I'm like, I know what you're like. Does that make sense? Okay. So don't accuse me of reading your mail or your husband or wife or friend or whatever talking to me about you. That's not what's happening here. Answer number one. How is being told you've blown it as a human being good news? Answer number one. Here it is. You ready? You become less amazing. That's good news. You become less amazing. In other words, you are finally released from the prison and the pressure to be amazing. You don't have to spend your life striving and trying to be an amazing daughter. You have blown it as a daughter already. You don't have to try to spend your life being under the pressure and the enslavement of trying to be like an amazing Christian. You've blown it as a Christian already. You don't have to pretend anymore that you're an amazing, loving person. You've blown it already as a loving person. And then what our culture needs to hear today, you don't need to like project yourself as an amazing, just person. You've blown it already as a just person. The ship has sailed. The verdict's already in. You've blown it as a human being. The mere minute that Jesus is born is telling us humanity has blown it. We've blown it. And I've come to take your place. Answer number two, why is this good news? Because you can become a human being again. Think of resting. Think of this. Think of finally resting relying and rejoicing in Jesus as your holiness. As Jesus as your true and faithful daughtership. 
sonship before God. Jesus as your true and faithful, perfect image-bearing, the perfect human being. Think if you could rest, rely, rejoice in that. What happens? I took your place as a daughter. You're holy. I took your place as a Christian. You know, all the things you people do as Christians. Some of it I like, some of it, whew. What are you doing? I took your place as the perfect worshiper, the perfect obeyer, the perfect activator, whatever you want to call it today. I activated the Holy Spirit, okay? I took your place as the perfect Christian. You're holy. I took your place as a loving person. You're holy. I took your place as a just person. You're holy. You've blown it as a human being. And I am your holiness. Rest in that. Rely in that. Rejoice in that. Some of you are thinking, but how does this help me as a Christian? How does this help me in my relationship with God? How does this help me in my struggle with sin? How does this help me in my practical holiness? How does this help me in my relationships and meaningful ministry? Answer number one, see what I just said previously. All right? You become less amazing. That's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. And you become more of a human being. That's a good thing. That's an amazing thing, right? Okay, answer number two. Everything in your Christian life now moves in a different direction. So everything about how you're relating to God moves in a different direction. How you relate to your sin moves in a different direction. How you relate to people moves in a different direction. How you engage in practical holiness moves in a different direction. How you do meaningful ministry moves in a different direction. How does it move? You move away from Jesus giving you strength. To Jesus being your strength. In other words, Jesus strengthens me means that you need to be activating Jesus' strength to strengthen you. Do you see this? Do you see this? And you say, well, well, how do you do that? Well, it actually depends. You say, well, how does it depend, Jeff? It depends on who you ask. It depends on your tradition. It depends on your theological worldview. It depends on your personal experiences. Because some say, how do you activate Jesus' strength? How does Jesus strengthen you? He does it by spiritual disciplines. Some say he does it by special anointed people. So you better, this is where spiritual FOMO comes in, you better get associated with that person or you're going to miss out on activating Jesus in your life because he has the secret sauce or she has the secret sauce. Some say some church tradition. Some say you need to feel it. You need to have personal experiences. People in our tradition say you need to think it, theologize it, doctrinalize it. Others say you just need to access the Holy Spirit somehow. And others say, you know, it's just an act of your will, a sheer sincerity, some kind of surrender, some step. You get the picture. But you know what Jesus is my strength means? 
it's already true. Jesus is my strength. I don't have to activate him. He already is. It's already true. It's already real. It's already accomplished. Jesus is my strength. Rest in it. Rely in it. Rejoice in it. Believe it. It's good news. This will change your relationship with God. And then it will change all those other areas we talked about. You move from Jesus strengthens me to Jesus is my strength. You've blown it as a human being, but I came to take your place. What you have told me cannot be true. If it were true, it's such good news that someone would have told this to me before. We're being told. Let me pray for us.